We want to go back. We're, we're talking about entering into God's rest. And it is a journey, you know. And this journey, the length of this journey depends on you. For Elijah, the prophet, it took him 40 days to enter into the rest of God. You know, 40 days is just a, 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 a symbol of the, the, the length that it requires for someone the, the period of time that required for someone to enter into the rest of God, it depends on us. If our hearts are sensitive to God, we can enter into the rest of God easily. But for others, that 40 days like the nation of Israel become 40 years and they never did enter, you know, because they are just too hard, hardened, too stiff-necked, so they never did enter. And then uh, uh, we talk about the two disciples of Jesus, uh, on the road of Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus. You know, their hearts were not open. They left Jerusalem this, uh, disappointed, this illusion. Even though that day was a new beginning, that day was the resurrection day of Jesus. But they never see it. Okay, so they left Jerusalem in this uh, 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 struggle, conflicts, turmoil inside their heart, disappointment. And how did they enter into the rest of God? That was where, what we were talking about. So we mentioned that the first thing that we need is we need an encounter with Jesus. It's not good enough. Mary and the woman experience uh, uh, Jesus and, and see angels. It's no good because we have to have an encounter ourselves in order for us to enter into the rest of God. So on the road to Emmaus, lo and behold, as they were talking about this thing, Jesus came. Jesus came near them. Okay, we want to read the story now in Luke 24, verse 19 onwards. Verse 19 to verse 25, right, to, to get the story. So he, Jesus approached them, and Jesus said, What things? What are you talking about? He asked, About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers hand him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucify him. Verse 21, but we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So you see, when we encounter Jesus, the things that Jesus wants to do is he wants us to know our condition. He wants us to know why we are at this particular time going through this crisis, going through this problem, going through this suffering. That's the first thing Jesus wants us to know. And then 
we realize these disciples, they do know about Jesus. But their knowledge of Jesus is just partial, partial understanding. They say he's a prophet. He's powerful in words. You know, the miracles that he did before everyone, you can see it. Wow, this, you see, they, they are pretty accurate, a, a description of Jesus, but not the full description of Jesus. Why? Because they were expecting a Messiah to come who will deliver them out of you know, the, 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 the bondages of an earthly king. That was what they were looking. So that's why they did not fully uh, know who Jesus was. They could only say, he's a prophet. We know he's from God. Okay, so it's very, very dangerous for us to know something about Jesus, but yet not really go deeper to know who Jesus really is in our life. Because there'll be so much misperception uh, and that causes us to act foolishly because we don't really know Jesus. You see, these disciples, they were living Jerusalem just about when God is going to do new things and start a greatest move that this, this, this planet Earth has ever known. You know, the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. But they are, run, they are, they are going away. So that's why Jesus said, how foolish you are. Because of your lack of understanding, because of lack of knowledge of what, who, and who God is and what God's plan and purpose is. And you, at this moment, are living foolish, foolish uh, decision. So perception, how we look at things, how we look at Jesus is everything. Uh, it's so, so important. Uh, perhaps I will... You know, uh, uh, Jesus, just give an example. Jesus was talking about do not lay up treasure on earth, right? Where moths and, 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 and thieves will come and, and steal it and, and so on. But lay up your treasure in heaven. And then he goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, and then following this verse in Matthew 6.22, following immediately after this verse, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if our perception of God, of what is of value, is wrong, then there is darkness in our hearts. We will not get things right. Okay? So these disciples, they were looking at benefits. Jesus, our King, our Messiah, the one is going to restore our fortune and set us free. They have personal interests. Right? That is their treasure. What Jesus can do for them. Their treasure is not in God. Their treasure is in what God can do for them. Right? So because of that wrong perception, darkness came to their hearts, to, their, to, to the whole being. So this morning, our 
interest, our benefit, our treasure, if it's not in Jesus, it will cause you to look at things wrongly. It will cause darkness to come into your whole being because you have interest. And therefore, you're not able to see clearly exactly what God wants to do. You see, because we, we, we have treasure, you know, uh, we, we look after, go after the treasure. So even though we know G, what Jesus said, you know, don't lay up treasure on earth, but you know, lay up treasure in heaven, but we still don't care. We didn't hear it. We still keep laying up treasure on earth, more and more, but very little, you know, it in heaven. Why? Because that's where our heart is. That's, that's where what is of value to us. So some of us, because of the, the values in our heart, what is the values? What are the treasure in your heart? It could be your reputation, right? It could be your, your pride, your uh, whatever it is, you know, those things that is important to you so, so that you are not hearing what God is saying, so that darkness are there in your heart. Our treasure should be Jesus. Jesus. That's our treasure. Okay, so that we can hear, we can know uh, what what. He wants to do. Okay, so the disciples could not see the Messiah have to suffer because they are looking at what they can get. They don't want suffering. Okay, so, uh, so this morning, the journey of entering into the rest of God comes with suffering. It comes with suffering. You want to enter into the rest of God? You're so troubled. You're so in turmoil. You are so, there's so much conflict, confusion, and so on. You want to enter into the rest of God? You need to understand the rest of God, the journey comes with suffering. Okay, that's why uh, uh, Jesus said to them, He said, uh, uh, He said to them in verse 25, uh, Luke 24, 25, How foolish you are and how slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter His glory. So we must first suffer and then enter into His glory. Now to enter into the rest of God is to enter into His glory. Is to enter into the fullness of His promises. So that journey, it comes with suffering. And, and Jesus said very emphatically, did you not know did you not know? So if you are going through some difficult times, whatever it is, don't you know that we have to go through that? You have to go through that? And God is doing something through that in your life. So suffering for Jesus, suffering for Jesus is the pathway to glory. Hebrews 2 Verse 10, he said, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Can you see? God wants to lead many of his sons into glory. He wants to lead us into his glory. But how does he do it? We thought, believing Jesus, that's it. No. He said it was fitting. 
even for Jesus, the Son of God. He has to be perfected through suffering. He has to be perfected. Why? The human Jesus on earth has a flesh. He will struggle. He, he struggled with his flesh. That's why the Bible says in every way he was tempted just like we are. So Jesus has to go through that, those struggles. But in those temptations, in those struggles, in those suffering, he was perfected because he submit to the Father because he obeyed the Father. So when you're going through those struggles, it's a perfecting process that God is taking you through. He's clipping you know, away the things that is not right, the, the attitude that is not good. He's dealing with all the things that, that we need to be dealt with. In order to perfect us, in order to make us mature, complete, to be able to lead us into His glory. So we need to know that the Son of God had to suffer. And then the glory. You think we don't have to go through that? A student is not greater than a master, Jesus said. If Jesus, the man, had to go through it. We, as his sons and daughters in the human flesh, we will have to go through the perfecting process. So Jesus is the author of our salvation. You know, when we look at him, oh, we know this is how we follow. This is how we are able uh, uh, to enter into glory with him by sharing in his suffering. So Jesus had to be perfected by being obedient. You know, when he obeyed, what does it mean to obey? That means he go through injustice. He go through rejection. He go through ridicule and, and physical abuse, verbal abuse. You know, he go through all these things, he suffered. So when Jesus was going through this kind of suffering, this kind of perfecting process, how did he respond? What does it mean to be perfected? What does it mean to, 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 to share in the, uh, the suffering of Christ, going through the suffering of Christ? Look at Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. And afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So when we are going through that process of being perfect, what? How do we go through it with with all this suffering, with all this what we what we would term injustice and oppression and so on? Jesus, he did not open his mouth. That's a very significant statement. Jesus did not open his mouth. When we are going through that kind of suffering, what is our reaction? 
Oh, we are kicking, we are screaming, we are accusing, we are attacking, we are defending, we are doing all kinds of things. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, was perfect through suffering in order He can go into the glory of God. Because Jesus was really obeying the Father. You see, the flesh wasn't kicking. It was submitted to the Father. What did he pray? Father, if it's possible, let this bitter cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus was going through Obedience in obeying the will of the Father. See, if we are kicking, screaming, we are just like the world. We are just behaving like the world. We are not entering into the suffering of Christ. We are entering into our own flesh. His focus wasn't on the oppressor. His focus wasn't on what people have done to him. His focus is on the Father. Father, what is your will? What do you want from me? I'm serving you. I'm your servant. His focus wasn't on what happened. And that's why he kept silent. Because he's looking at the Father. It's the Father's will. You know, to follow Jesus on this path, which we have to do. Right? Let us read this verse. Romans 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. So if we want the glory that Jesus has, we want to inherit all that He has, heirs of Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. What does the verse tell us? Can we have glory without suffering? I don't think so. If we want to inherit what Jesus had, we too, had to go through that suffering. And we too have to go through it the way he did. You see, when we are kicking, shouting, when we are going through that kind of uh, tribulation or, or suffering, we lost it. We are not entering into his glory. We are just living in our flesh, reacting in our flesh. We do not understand the will of God. We do not understand the purpose of God. And we don't want the suffering. We don't want the suffering. We think that this suffering is not from God. It's from the devil. Yes, indeed it's from the devil. Jesus suffered. Where does it come from? The enemy. But it was God's will. So that he come out in triumph, he come out 
in glory. Because there is a perfecting process. Are we allowing God to take us through the perfecting process? Or are we shouting and screaming and leaving Jerusalem? Living the place where God wants to do great things in our life because of pain and suffering and disappointment. Jesus said, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. How slow of you to understand what God's plan, what God's purpose is. So Jesus suffered as a lamb of God. You know, when he was that verse in Isaiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And a sheep before her sharers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you know, not everyone can be the lamb of God to be sacrificed. In fact, in the whole world, there's only one, only Jesus. Is the Lamb of God. You know, there are three persons hanging on the cross. Two are criminals. Only one is the Lamb of God. If you are hanging on the cross, I tell you, you are dead because you are criminals. Only Jesus is the Lamb of God. From your reaction, I know you are criminal. When you are shouting and screaming and defending, I know you are criminals. You see, when, when we are Lamb of God, that's because we have been living in obedience. Let me give you a picture. If you are one of those naughty lamb, you know the shepherd have you in the sheep pen, what do you do? You want to get out. Naughty one, right? So when you want to get out, you want to squeeze to the fence, there are bruises on your body. If you want to be the Lamb of God, you have to be a lamb without blemish. If there are bruises on your body, you, are dis you have disqualified yourself from being the Lamb of God. So Jesus was the Lamb of God because He lived in obedience throughout His life, in every situation, in every circumstance. He wasn't screaming and shouting and, and there are bruises on His body because that would disqualify Him. How many of us when we go through that, we don't, we don't struggle a bit. And then you see bruises. That's why I say we cannot. We cannot be the Lamb of God. Only Jesus is qualified. That's why He became the Messiah. He became the Savior. We can share in His suffering. You know, just wanting to be, to be like Him. So when we are suffering like Jesus, we are suffering like the Lamb of God, we, we, we keep silence. We bring it before God. We look to God the Father. That's all we look to, nothing else. You know, not, not any oppressor and so on. We just look to the Father. And just, we, we just pray, Father, not my will. Your will be done. We just submit. We just obey. That's the pathway into the rest of God. How can you enter into the rest of God if you're continuously struggling, uh, crying, defending, and, 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 and so on? You can't. You have to keep silence. You have to keep silence. That's why God has to let Elijah, the prophet, to keep quiet so that he can hear the still small voice. Because he was kicking, he was shouting, he was screaming. I'm the only one left. Oh. You see, perception. God said, hey, 
Don't look at yourself as so big. I have 7,000 prophets I reserve for myself who has never bowed to Baal. 7,000. You think you're the only one? See, sometimes we think ourselves so big. But God said, I have 7,000. So 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5. For just as the suffering of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ, our comfort overflows. So when Paul, the apostle Paul, when he went through suffering, he was conscious that this was the suffering of Christ. And he was looking to Christ's comfort. He wasn't looking for men to, 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 to vindicate him or men to help him or anything. He wasn't looking to men. He was just looking to Christ because it's the suffering of Christ. He was just looking for Jesus to work in his life so that he received comfort, so that he now has a greater capacity for the glory of God. And then as a result of this greater capacity, the, the, the volume of comfort that he received from Christ, now he can minister with depth. He, can, he, he know God deeper. He know the heart of Jesus much better. He's able to allow that comfort he received to flow out of him and to minister to others. So can you see, when you're going through the suffering of Christ, you're not looking at people. You're looking at Jesus. You are just wanting to receive the comfort that Jesus gave you. Okay, so suffering creates a greater capacity for us when we respond correctly. It creates a greater capacity for us to contain the glory of God. Now, the Apostle Paul was able to receive more. And it helps you to have a deeper knowledge of God. We think we know God's love. We think we know God's heart. Not until you go through the suffering of Christ. Then you understand the degree of God's love. You know, the richness of God's love. Until you go through that, you know, our knowledge of the love of God, the suffering of Christ, is just so superficial. Right? So Paul, he's just looking to God for that uh, uh, suffering, uh, to, to comfort him in his suffering, to help him because he knows he's walking in God's will. Philippians 1 verse 29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. You see, the way the scripture Describe about suffering for him. It's just like an honor. It's just like a gift to you. You know, so, so we, 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 we take it as something horrible, something that is, that is uh, uh, really uh, painful and, and so on. It is painful. But the thing is, if we are suffering for him, it's an honor, right? It's, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, Remember when we believe Him, man, there's so much blessing. There's, wow, it's a gift of God. It's, it's a goodness of God. But God said, hey, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. So to be able to suffer for Jesus, you know, is an honor. Because not many people can. 
Not many people want. Not many people is able to go through. You see, but when we are called by God, and 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 God will give us a grace. God will give us a capacity. God will give us a strength. It's an honor. That's because the glory was waiting for us beyond the the, the suffering. So unless we go through, we, we really don't know God too well, right? You know, our teenage children, when they're growing up that in the teenage years, you tell them, you warn them, they will still do some of the things that they want to do, only until they are parents themselves. When they have teenage children, then they realize what their parents have gone through. See, unless they go through, they don't understand. They think you're old-fashioned. They think you are not in. You're not cool. Right? But when they go through that kind of experience, they realize what parenting is all about. You see, it's the same thing. When we go through the suffering of Christ, then we have a, a better understanding of the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the depths. Of those knowledge, otherwise it's just a superficial thing. So, apostles Paul, he knew, he knew the benefit of going through the suffering, and that's why in Philippians three, verse ten to eleven, Philippians three ten to eleven, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, become like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul knew, in order for him to know God better, he has to go to suffering. He has to share in the suffering of Jesus. Well, Paul, he was taken up to heaven. He had revelation. You think you need to go to suffering to know God better? No. You see, that's why some people they have a lot of revelation from heaven, but their life doesn't reflect Jesus. They do not know Jesus in their life, but they have a lot of revelation. You see, if anybody can who know God, you know, in dreams and revelation, Paul, he was taken into the third heaven, but he still know. In order for him to really, really know Jesus, he had to suffer with Jesus. Go through the experience so that he can enter into the glory, enter into the resurrection. So we, we really need to go through that process, perfecting process. Allow God to deal with our life. Allow God to break us. Allow God to, to, to just come into our life so that we, we just look at him and we just commit ourselves to him, totally. So when Jesus went through that suffering, finally, he said, "I commit my spirit, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit." When he had said this, he breathed his last, "Father, into your hand I commit my spirit." Then he breathed his last. Then he died. So when you pray that prayer and after that you don't die, that means you are lying. Many of us, God, I commit myself to you, but we didn't die. 
We didn't breathe our last. We are still kicking. We are still shouting. We are still demanding. But when you pray that prayer, you must die. Jesus breathed his last because he truly commit his spirit to God. And after that, he just wait for the resurrection. No more shouting, no more kicking, no more anything. Just wait because you have committed to God and you die and let God do the res- resurrection. This is what Paul says. I want to experience, you know, share in the suffering so that somehow I may enter into the resurrection of Jesus. So we must go through this journey of suffering in order to enter into the rest of God with the right attitude. That's important. It's the right attitude because it's a perfecting process. 1 Peter 4, 13 to 14. But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So, what kind of right attitude? He said, rejoice when you participate in the suffering of Christ. Right? So you can compare this with our, our reaction when we go through suffering. Is it rejoicing? Is it looking at Jesus? Is it waiting for His comfort? Is it committing ourselves to Him? Or are we kicking? Are we, you know, reacting in the flesh and, and, and doing what we want to do? So when the glory of God finally appears because we, we have the right attitude, well, then you enter into great rejoicing. Uh, and, and, and so you say, the spirit, you're blessed. The spirit of glory is already upon you. So, so this morning, when we go through Trials, when we go through this kind of problem, is the spirit of glory upon us? Because if the spirit of glory is upon us, we are like Jesus. We react like Jesus. We draw strength from God and therefore we are able to walk through like Jesus. You see, the the spirit of glory is upon us, but it's whether you know it or not. It's whether you draw from it or not. If it's the suffering of Christ, the spirit of glory is upon us. But if it's suffering for your own, own foolishness, that's, that's a different thing. You know, but when you're suffering for Jesus, you're really suffering for Jesus, the glory of God is upon us. Right? When Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, what happened? The angel appeared to strengthen him. But it didn't take away the the, the suffering. And after the angel prayer to strengthen him, the Bible continued to describe he was in great turmoil and sweat, drops of blood. Like drops of blood. After the angel appeared to him. Not, 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 uh, not uh, uh, before. After. So he still goes through, but, but without the angel strengthening him, I think humanly, he just could not sustain it. But the angel came and strengthened him. So we, we have the right attitude because we see the greater plan and purpose of God. Jesus saw the greater plan and purpose of God. That's why he said, Father, not my will. I know, I have to go through. But you have a great plan. 
You have a greater plan and purpose for salvation of man. Father, let it be. Let it be. And uh, just one more verse, then we're going to close. Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. It tells us the danger, the problem, if we are not walking the way that Jesus would have us to walk. When we go through this, this, this journey of suffering. Okay, Hebrews 12, verse 14 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So, the Bible says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. So make every effort to live in peace with all men. What kind of effort? When he say make every effort to live in peace with men. It means we die to ourselves. The only way that you can be to live in peace with all men, right, is to lay aside your self-interest. Lay aside what you hold dearly. But it's not going to bring peace. Okay, so you're going to let go of yourself. That is making every effort to live in peace with all men. And then he say, and be holy. I read to you verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 is a continuation of verse 15. He didn't say, make every effort to live in peace with all men. And now, another topic, you've got to live holy. That's not what he, the, the scripture means. Because the following verse say, says that, uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, uh, that a bitter root goes up to cause trouble and defile many. He's still talking about relationship. What does it mean to be holy in our relationship? Because he said, if you do not have holiness, you're not going to see God. You see, to be holy in this occasion, in this context, is not talking about not committing adultery, not having any kind of, a, you know, what we term unholy thing. To be holy is to give myself totally to God and to God's purpose. And that God's purpose is that I, leave, I make every effort to live in peace with all men. So to be holy in this case is the same thing again. To die to myself. Just like Jesus did. You know? On the cross. So that is holiness. When you are able to do that, then he said, you will see God. You will begin to understand. You will begin to know God's purpose. Otherwise, you can't see because you are still holding on to yourself. Your self-right. Your self-righteousness, your self, everything is self. But when you're holy, that means you separate yourself unto God. You are seeing God's purpose. You are, you know, you're giving yourself to God. Then you are able to see God. Know God. Then you enter into His rest. You enter into His rest. Elijah, when he saw God, he put a clock over it's not self anymore. It's God. Okay? So that's what it is to be holy in this context. Without holiness, you're not going to see God. You're not going to understand. 
You're going to go through the problem. You keep asking questions. You keep defending. You keep shouting. But there will be no answer. Forget about praying. Don't waste your time. Just submit yourself to God. Just be holy. Just lay aside knowing that you need to suffer for Jesus, with Jesus. And then you will see Him. Everything will, will be clear. Everything will be clear. If we don't do that, it's very dangerous. That's why the next verse, uh, verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Verse 15. So when we go through that process with a wrong attitude, it's very dangerous. We fall into the hands of Satan. Bitter roots will grow up. You know, we begin to talk, we begin to talk instead of being silenced. You see, the Lamb of God was silenced. We begin to talk, we begin to talk. You see, so we defile many. We defile many. We're doing the devil's work. But God wants us to submit to Him. Be holy. You know, uh, when we're going through that, make every effort. Put down ourselves. So we need to walk this path, you know, into the rest of God, going through suffering. But we are very conscious that we are suffering for Jesus. So we are silent. We submit to the Father. We look to the Father. We make ourselves holy. You know, it's, it's hard. You know, it's so easy to, to fall into the snare of the devil, but we, we, we keep ourselves holy because without holiness, we will not see God. We will not. So let's, let's go on this journey, whatever stage you are in. When you're going through difficult times, may this word be your light, be your guide as you go through it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.